Okay, if you have a Bible, you can open to Revelation 21. We'll look at verses 1 through 8. I think we've just got maybe three or four more sermons left in the book of Revelation uh, before we move to something else. Um, the text is also printed on the bulletin for you, the next page. Um, so as we're closing in on the, the end of the book of Revelation, uh, we're also closing in on the end of, uh, of history, uh, the way that the scriptures portray the, the timeline of history, right? This has to do with the future of God's people in this world and then beyond here in these chapters. So uh, human beings are creatures who live with the future in mind. I don't think you can get away from that. <clears throat> I think we always live with the future in mind. We decide and we act based on what we think the future holds. We rely on promises to ease our fears about the future, or at least we're looking for something to ease our fears about the future. <clears throat> uh, we must have this forward-looking hope in order to endure hardship and sufferings. And God knows this. So Jesus gives us this vision of the future to help us. So last week we heard about the end of the war against God that's coming in the future, right? It'll be the utter end of this old world the other end of the first cosmos that's created by God, there will be one last battle, one final judgment, and all the enemies of the kingdom of God will be thrown down. <clears throat> It'll be this ultimate final ending of all endings. And then after that, a new beginning. A glorious homecoming to a familiar place we haven't yet been. <clears throat> a joyful uh, union and reunion, a cheerful welcome. And a festival celebration. And a new wholeness, a new rest, a new freedom, and a new vitality. None of it ever to be threatened or lost again. All of the reality and abundance of this ever growing from glory to glory. For those who belong to Jesus, after the final ending, there's this new beginning. That's what's in our passage. That's what we'll talk about this morning. So let me pray and we'll read the scripture. <clears throat> Father, your son has revealed uh, so many wonderful things to us and this revelation of our future with you is most wonderful. We pray that every word of it would be etched on our hearts through the help of your Holy Spirit. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more, neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. <clears throat> also, he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, 
the detestable. As for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So since Jesus first came into the world, since he died and rose again and ascended bodily into heaven, we've been living in what the Bible calls the last days. This whole time, we've been living in the last days. This is the time of Christ's reign in heaven. This is the time of his church's advance, his kingdom's advance into the world on a mission to carry the good news about Jesus to the nations for their repentance and forgiveness of sins. During this time, those who belong to Christ by faith, uh, called the saints of God in the scriptures, when we depart, uh, when we die, we depart from our bodies, we depart from this world, and we go into heaven in the presence of Jesus to reign with him. And that's wonderful and good, but it's not the end of the story. Heaven, your, your soul, your disembodied soul in heaven with Jesus, which is good. It's not the final eternal state of believers. Our passage this morning portrays the final eternal state of the saints, and it's a hope-filled vision. It's not just a vision of our souls in heaven with Jesus. It's a vision of the old heaven and earth passing away, along with all the terrible things that have characterized this world, this first creation, because of our sin and because of our rebellion against God. It's, it's a vision of a new heaven and a new earth, all things made new. In this new creation, the new heaven and earth will be united, not separate from each other as they are now, where you can only get to heaven if you died on earth. The new heaven and earth will be united. They'll become one, never to be separated again. The presence of God will be definitive on earth as it is in heaven. No longer will death reign, sundering souls from bodies, but our souls will be reunited with our resurrected bodies so that the eternal state is one where we live an immortal bodily life in the heavenly presence of God, in the presence of Christ, here, on this earth made new. Jesus himself is the first fruits, sort of like the blueprint or the pattern for this new world. And he himself is the guarantee that we will live with him in it. So he's the first fruits. He's gone through death and resurrection, and he's He's guaranteed it. He's promised his people that we'll experience the same thing he has experienced. His natural body was raised in a way that is beyond our comprehension. It's the same physical material body that he had before he died. But it's also called a spiritual body, and in some sense unrecognizable even to his closest friends. It's a spiritual body because the barrier between what is heavenly and what is earthly has been broken down in his new resurrection body. His body is both earthly and heavenly. And and it's, uh, it's the united new heaven and new earth that God is making that's pictured for us in Jesus' new body, his new heavenly and earthly body. We don't pretend to know everything that that means, but we know that it means 
that we'll have bodies like his because he's not just the blueprint for the way things are. Uh, he is the blueprint for us, for our expectations for the future, but he's also the guarantee of it. Uh, we're going to have our own bodies, which most likely will have experienced death, decay, and disintegration, maybe in the ground, maybe in a fire. But then our own bodies will be resurrected and made new and immortal like Jesus' body. How he can do this, we don't know. But death and resurrection for Jesus means both continuity and newness. And that's what it will mean for us, continuity and newness. And this describes God's plan for the whole of reality. The old earth and the old heaven will go through death and resurrection, so to speak. So that there will be continuity and yet newness on this cosmic scale. It'll be this earth that's united with heaven, but remade in glory. And so this is a hope-filled vision of the final eternal state. Uh, the global scientific community seems not to have such hope for the future. If we don't exterminate ourselves in one way, it's going to be in another. And the future of the human species is... Um, there's just a clock ticking on us. Whatever the case, uh, the sun will eventually burn itself out. It's just a matter of time. And uh, Elon Musk, he's one of these who's leading the charge into space because people are convinced that we've got to get off this planet. We've got to get off this earth if we're going to survive as a human race. We don't have much hope for this place. It might sound like sci-fi, but that's probably the basic assumption of most people. It's it's just that such things seem so far removed from our lifetimes that we don't have to take it too seriously because the sun's not going to burn out in our lifetimes. But overall, people are probably pessimistic about the future of humanity, pessimistic about the future of this planet. But here we have God's revelation that yes, actually this old earth and even heaven will pass away in some sense but they'll be made new and eternal and glorious. This earth and heaven made new and eternal and glorious. <clears throat> and the future, that future, isn't just coming to our distant descendants. That future is coming to each and every person who ever lived. The new creation will be our home forever if we belong to Jesus and entrust ourselves to him and remain faithful to him. So this vision of the new heaven and new earth is almost inconceivable to us in its goodness. It's, it's really hard to begin to imagine what this kind of a place could be like. There will be no more death. Spend the rest of your life trying to figure out what, what that means for the way that we understand the world. We can't imagine a world without death. It would actually take a reworking of physics as we understand it, it would probably mean no more decay, no more corruption, no more entropy. It probably means something new on a subatomic level. <laughs> a world without death. But these are the promises in verse 4, that there will be no more death, no more mourning, no more crying, no more pain. The human experience of the world and all of our relationships will be made entirely new. Things like brokenness and ruin and betrayal, and depression, and disappointment, and loss will be fading memories, 
passing away with the old world. And words, words like rebellion, words like sin and frustration and worry and misery and evil will be gone from our vocabulary. It says in verse 1, the sea will be no more. Well, that'd be a big change. Uh, as, as we've seen throughout Revelation, the sea is symbolic, right? Throughout the scriptures, really, the sea is symbolic. It doesn't necessarily mean that, <clears throat> you know, that great big body of water on the edge of our continent and all the power and the beauty of the ocean will be gone. It doesn't necessarily mean that, but it, it really does represent the chaotic, unruly nations of the world apart from Christ, in rebellion against the kingdom of God. That's going to be gone. Unruly nations apart from Christ will be gone. All terror and disorder and anarchy and revolt against God will be gone. All our suspicions, all our doubts about God, <clears throat> all our terrible superstitions, <clears throat> they'll be gone. They'll be replaced by elated, thankful trust. There'll be no more pain in our relationships, only good friendships. All will be trusting love. All will be deep joy. All will be steady peace and full relief and perfect freedom. And the reason why it'll all be like this, the reason why it'll all be wonderfully new is because of God's presence dwelling with his people. Because God himself will wipe away each and every tear from our eyes. The eternal state of God's people will be glorious because God will be with us, because we'll see the Lord Jesus face to face, because his spirit will fill us up to overflowing with his divine life permanently and forever. If you just want a nice place to be comfortable, that's not necessarily the same thing as wanting this future that's represented here. Just a nice place to be comfortable. <clears throat> this future might not be what everybody wants. And not everyone will experience the future in the same way, there are, as it says in verse 8, the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable or abominable, <clears throat> the murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars. It's basically talking about those who have wanted nothing to do with God, wanted nothing to do with Jesus, or those who have professed to be Christians, pretended to be Christians, but have not endured in faithfulness to Christ. And these will not experience the future in this glorious way. These will inherit the lake of fire, while the saints, <clears throat> the conquerors, according to verse 7, those who persevere in the faith, God says they will have this heritage. I will be his God, and he'll be my son. So it's our relationship with God that's our heritage, our eternal heritage. Our relationship with God, fully restored, fully enjoyed, will be the definitive feature of the new heaven and the new earth, the definitive feature of the eternal state. This relationship is described in various ways throughout the scriptures with the father-son and uh, father-son relationship and also with the husband-bride relationship, both of which are mentioned here in this passage <clears throat> to highlight the security and the intimacy and the joy we will have because of God's absolute commitment to his people, his absolute faithfulness to his people, like a committed, faithful father, like a committed, faithful husband. He will be our God, and we will be his beloved people, and we will never be without him again. And that's the most important thing about our reality. This 
will be the main thing that God does to make all things new and right. We could speculate a lot about the details of life in this new world, and it's fun to do that. <clears throat> how fresh the air will smell. Um, how vibrant the colors will be. Our capacity to perceive things. How mass and gravity will behave, maybe differently. <clears throat> whether we'll see our pets. And so on. We could speculate about those things, but the best part, and the most inconceivable part, really, will be living with God rather than apart from Him constantly, perpetually. This will be the very definition of the eternal state. It's the thing that makes <clears throat> heaven and earth new, the thing that makes us new, the presence of a triune God, the presence of Jesus with his people forever. I can hardly imagine <clears throat> what that means, the sheer freedom from other gods that that'll mean, that have plagued my whole life. The the divine love saturating every bit of our existence, the absolute absence of even the fear of suffering, even the fear of death that will come with dwelling in his presence. He is the alpha and the omega. He's the first and the last. He's the beginning and the end. He's the source of all being. He's the center of all being. And his being is love. He's the father delighting in the son and the communion of the Holy Spirit and just being with him we'll make all things new. Me, you, heaven, earth, eternity, all of it will be new. We will drink in his very presence as from the waters of life, and we will truly live. And this is not just a nice thought for curling up by the fire on a fall day with a cup of your favorite tea. This vision of your eternal future with God, <clears throat> this is for curling up on the floor of a dark, damp prison. This vision is for the times of humiliation and torment. This vision is for when you're lonely or depressed or anxious. This vision is for when you're tempted to believe that this world is all there is and to act like this world is all there is. This vision is <clears throat> for when you wander in the wilderness wondering what's next. This vision of your eternal future with God, this vision is for the deathbed. <clears throat> this vision of the new heaven and new earth is for times when it's hard to trust the Lord and it's hard to keep following faithfully where he leads us. Wherever it is that he leads us through this life, he is ultimately leading us here to this eternal state, to his glorious, life-giving presence. Jesus gives you this vision of the eternal future to give you hope, not just to string you along in a delusion, but because these things are true and God wants you to trust him. Verse 5, he who is seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. He also said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. Trustworthy and true like I am. That's a, that's a description of God's character. And this promise, this word, <clears throat> shares that character. It can be hard to believe in such a vision of the future because it's so inconceivable, it's so radically foreign to our experience of the world, but you may believe it, you're invited to believe it because of Jesus. We've seen the preview of these things in his life. His disciples saw this preview when he was transfigured on the mountain before them. <clears throat> they saw Moses and Elijah. Here are figures who've been long dead from our history. 
but alive in God's presence. And they saw Jesus' glory revealed. They saw Jesus dead and alive again. They saw his new heavenly earthly body do things that they couldn't understand. They heard him promise that we would be like him, that we would be with him, that he would return for us someday. And he was willing to die for us, so he would not lie to us. His blood guarantees all the promises of God that will be fulfilled on the day when God himself says, it's done, like he does here. So rehearse what you know about God, what you know about his character, about how he reveals himself in Jesus as trustworthy and true. He will carry his bride across the threshold of our new home together. He will wipe away every one of your tears. He will dwell with us and be our God and we'll be his people. And it'll be, as uh, C.S. Lewis beautifully suggests, that all our life in this world will only have been the cover and title page. And now at last we'll begin chapter one of the great story which no one on earth has read, which goes on forever, in which every chapter is better than the one before. Beloved children of God, your, your participation in that great story is guaranteed by Jesus himself. It's the faithful and true promise of God who cannot lie. So let that vision of the future fill you up and soak into your soul and get down into your bones to strengthen you to face whatever this brief life may bring. Amen. Let's pray. Father, because of our betrayal, this world is filled with things like death and crying and pain. But because of your faithfulness, one day this world will be made new and there will be no more evil, but only good and very good. Help us to fix our eyes on the Savior, on Jesus, your Son, so that we may believe the incredible things that you're doing, that you will do, and that we may believe that you love us, that you'll have us by your side forever. We pray that you would sustain us with this vision of the future, of your faithfulness, and our future together in the new heaven and new earth, so that we'll neither be so attached to this world that we don't care about eternity with you, nor will be so detached from this world that that we care nothing for what you're doing with your creation. We pray that you would help us to see that all our hopes are in you and in you they're well placed. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.